1: hello welcome to uh the final long form podcast of 2018 happy holidays hey you guys it all comes to uh to another close what year is this (laughs) (laughs) how long have we been doing this Uh, who, who, who did we get for this last show of the year? Uh, the guest this week is Allison P. Davis. She, uh, writes for New York Magazine and GQ. She's written for The Ringer, uh, all kinds of places. She does, uh, she does the, those good celebrity profiles. She did that Lena
0: Dunham profile recently. Yeah, she
1: wrote about Lena Dunham. Uh, she wrote about Cardi B. Uh, it, it the, uh, the articles are fun to read. Yeah.
0: Yeah, enjoyed that. The
1: the, uh, we have a category on our best of list, which is out now. People should go look at our uh, best of 2018 picks. But we did a category historically called highly entertaining. Yes, Allison P. Davis, highly entertaining. (laughs) Right, highly entertaining. Hitting the highly entertaining list. Yes, yes. Uh, We're brought to you as
0: always by Mailchimp. They've been with us since year one. Another holiday season with Mailchimp. Start a Mailchimp newsletter. It supports the show.
1: And now here's Max with Allison Davis. Hi, Allison. Oh, hey, Max. (laughs) Welcome to um, the show. Thank you for doing this.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: I appreciate it. I um, spent some time in the last couple of days, like, looking into your past.
2: Oh, God, okay. And your
1: your background. (laughs) And uh, the answer is I failed. Oh, really? There's not a lot about, like who you are and where you grew up on the internet
2: oh that's so exciting like i've always wanted to be sort of an enigma so i, I like this
1: well we're gonna tear it all down now Great. this is this is gonna be the thing that future generations will come back to <laughs> and all of your secrets will have been spilled um where did you grow up how did you start doing this who, yeah
2: who are you who am i well the thing is i will say that like allison davis is a really common name yeah so like it's just like impossible to find us like there's like four that go to my bookstore and like <laughs> I get different Allison Davis's mail in Brooklyn like it's pretty easy not to find me there, there. are
1: also Allison Davis like magazine writers
2: yes yeah is that um, why you're Allison P exactly yeah. yeah and I've actually met one of my doppelgangers shout out to other Allison Davis who now lives in LA and um we were, were both black women who write, who moved from Oakland to Fort Greene within like a month of each other. And I was <laughs> like, okay, this is getting weird. She's a little bit older and is now writing for TV. So I guess that's like my next step. Yeah. So- <laughs> oh, That's
1: nice to have like someone who's just a little down the hole, like your life yeah, span. Yeah, I can just
2: follow her. <laughs> um, I'm from Baltimore originally. The suburbs of Baltimore, because I know I'll get, like, blasted for that. I'm from Cockeysville, which is a suburb of Baltimore. (laughs) Cockeysville? Yes, yeah. And it's spelled exactly like you think it is. Okay. And I guess, like, I started... Working at magazines when I was in college, I went to Barnard, and I always sort of knew I wanted to write. And because of, like, all the rom-coms I watched, I was like, well, obviously I have to be in magazines, and obviously I have to start working in fashion. So I interned as much as I could as a student while also, like, working in the student bookstore to supplement, like, not having not getting paid at these internships. So I interned at Jane and Teen Vogue and, like, Brides. And when I went home for the summer, I would do, like, the local papers in Baltimore Magazine. Did like you went a, to the City Paper? I I was never cool enough for City Paper. I went, like, glossy, like, tourist mag, not, like, cool. <laughs> if I could do it again, I would have gone cool alt mag. It would have changed my life, I think. Um, How? I, I, don't, I probably would have gone to cooler stuff. And, like, everything for the glossy Baltimore Magazine was very, like, what would your mom want to do on a Sunday? And so, like, that Top was five my yachts. life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, where to get the best crab cakes without like going too far into the inner city? And like, <laughs> like so I feel like if I'd done something like City Paper, would have made me cooler. I would have gone to like grimier shows and like <laughs> been a little, you know, more hipster edgy.
1: When, uh when like when are we talking about? What like what year is this?
2: Oh, this would be from like 2004 to 2008. That's when I went to college. And so my first, like, big internship, I guess, was at Teen Vogue in 2007, 2008 with this woman, Lee Bells, who is now, I think, at, at Vogue. Um, sorry if that's wrong, Lee. Um, She's at Vogue. And she was the first person to be like, oh, you're kind of good at this. And, like, I'm not just going to make you, like, carry racks of clothes around. Like, you can write for the blog.
1: How did you, like, uh, how did you stand out as an intern? How do you do that?
2: Honestly, I think one person gave me some insight into this once is that I'm just, like, I seem really nice (laughs) and like don't let people oh so what did she say she's like oh being nice goes a long way so like just you're just really nice so I'm gonna keep giving you chances and I was like okay I think this is at Jane and I was like okay I like don't really think I'm that nice what I think you're saying is that I'm sort of a pushover but I'll take it if like you're gonna pay attention to me so in every internship I just like showed up with the biggest smile on my face no matter what crap I had to do which is like not a good lesson nobody should do those things like (laughs) don't get dry cleaning with a smile on your face, but I did it. And um, and Lee's also a very, very nice person and a very patient person. So I think we just sort of were kindred. Um, yeah, so I started writing for her and she actually gave me my first magazine article, which was a couple years later when I was in grad school. She asked me to find like a teen mom to talk to. Uh-huh. <laughs> so during the era of like MTV's Teen Mom. And so that was my first thing I did was like profiling a little, like a teen mom in california
1: did the stakes feel high
2: oh really high and to this day like i think lee was so kind but i like really botched that one like i turned in some messy ass copy
1: she was like 27 years old
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah so messy this, ass yeah, copy and yeah the, the
1: story was uh sorry it's not good how so what was what was not i don't good? know
2: like it was a teen mom from mtv her name was Marcy book out I think she's the most popular teen mom and like I didn't really know what questions to ask her so I was like what's it like being a mom and she's like something more specific please (laughs) and so I mean I just learned a lot in terms of like what an angle was I don't know I actually didn't learn that much I'm sorry Lee but she was really patient with me and made the story very good um for what it was but it was like 600 words and I I was so disappointed that I couldn't even figure out how to do that
1: um so like all right we're talking about like uh late aughts Basically. Yeah.
2: So I went to Berkeley J school right after college um, because I graduated in the recession and like.
1: Yeah, you graduated it, in no 08.
2: Yeah. Like, oh, wait, no jobs. So I decided to go to grad school and then like instead just like incur a lot of debt. <laughs> um, so I went to Berkeley because I'd always wanted to live in California and I studied magazine journalism and documentary filmmaking, because I could. <laughs> Berkeley's a two-year program, and you can do what you want. So, like, it was great to sort of sit in classrooms and read lots of profiles and lots of long-form journalism and, like, get someone who's much smarter than me, like, analyze it. And I feel like I learned a lot that way. And then also Lee would throw me freelance work, and I started writing little bar reviews for... Um, the Alt Weekly in Oakland, East Bay Express, and the paper in San Francisco. So like 200 were bar reviews so I could go drink for free. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that's sort of how I started doing more voicey stuff and figuring it out.
1: How did it feel to be in J School in 2009 and 2010? Oh. was like uh did not seem like uh boom times for magazines and you were like paying to learn how to work at a magazine
2: right i never thought i mean i guess i'm a little like i was a little pollyanna like, i was just out of college so i was like everything's gonna be fine um so but it was interesting because berkeley was pretty smart and how it adapted so like yes you could do your long-form journalism class but everybody was required to start like a blog And there was a lot of thinking about digital media and, like, not being afraid of that. So that was helpful. But it was... Was it worth the investment? That's my question. (laughs) No. I mean, no, because when I got out of J School, I still, like, immediately started as an assistant at a fashion magazine. So it was just, like, I delayed the inevitable by two years. You think you could have gotten
1: that gig before J School?
2: I do, yeah. 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 Of course, it was really fun to be able to sit with people who were at, like, the top of their game and, like, have them explain to you, like what a nut graph is and like how to transition and all that stuff. But I actually have learned a lot more of that on the job than I did in a classroom. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry, Berkeley, (laughs) the worst ad ever.
1: (laughs) You just got like taken off every alumni list.
2: They're never going to let me do those alumni interviews again.
1: They taught you to speak truth to power. It's true.
2: Yeah. Don't go to J school.
1: Don't go to J school. Um, Okay, so then you get out of there and you landed like an assistant editor job.
2: Uh, Yeah, I was an assistant editor at – oh, no, I was an editorial assistant at L – What is Uh, that
1: job? What do you do in that job?
2: uh, I was in the features department and I came in from J school thinking I was going to be writing features. So I was like pitching like crazy and everyone's sort of like, oh, could you like book travel for this writer? (laughs) Or or
1: like. You seem uh, nice.
2: You seem so nice. Could you get the mail (laughs) and like make sure it's on my desk at 11 a.m.? And uh, so I did a lot of scut work. And the thing is, I'm not like, I was what, 23? No, 24, and I was a mess. Like I barely paid my own bills on time. So like rece- I'm so sorry to all of the writers who sent their contracts in signed expecting pay and I was like what do I do with this?
1: <laughs> I will get to this when I damn well want to. Yeah.
2: I have a lot of other stuff to do. So it became very apparent to my bosses that I was like not a good assistant. So my time at L was a little tough. But like a lot of what I did was research for other writers who are doing features or like transcribing. And so like in every scut pile, there's like some lessons to learn. And I learned a lot from listening to other people interview and like yeah. doing their research and also pitching in editorial meetings was always really fun. So.
1: Okay. So what happens next? Where after oh, everyone's like, you're not a good assistant, then right. what happens?
2: So I stated, I have a tendency of staying in things too long that aren't good for me. So I stayed at L for two and a half years. And
1: that sounds like you want to talk about some relationships. <laughs>
2: don't ask about my exes um so two and a half years and I just remember god this is like I'm probably saying way too much but I just remember one editor was sort of like took me aside and was like I feel like you're always asking people like what you can do better and like how you can be a better writer and how you can get ahead but like I just want you to know that like that's not going to happen for you here so if I were you I would find a new job and I was like oh okay thank you (laughs) Okay. So then I just sat down at my work computer one day and I cold emailed a bunch of people. And one of them was Stella Bugby, And I was like, I need a new job. I'm looking for a job. Do you have a job? This is what I can do. And she asked me to come in for an interview. And then that's how I ended up at the cut.
1: How many emails did you send?
2: I sent like 15 cold emails to any place I could think of, mostly online, like Gawker, Jezebel, just everywhere. And it was weird because I was coming from print and like, As an assistant, you don't have any bylines and like trying to go work at Gawker or like Jezebel or even The Cut where it was all about voice and a presence on the internet and like a Twitter account and I didn't have any of those things. I'm surprised that like anybody wrote me back. Stella was the only one that wrote me back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised Stella wrote me back.
1: Do you remember what the gist of that email was?
2: It was like I, I work in fashion and like I just recently wrote a feature about my hair and I love the cut. And I want to be a cut woman. Can I come in and just talk to you? And lucky for me, their fashion blogger was departing, and they just needed somebody. And I guess like I seemed nice enough to like let into a building, so I came and I met with her. And I actually didn't know that much about fashion, so I had to like fudge it a lot. And I don't know, whatever. It worked because then I got a job at the cut, and that was kind of the start of most of my the rest of my career. When was that? That was two thousand. 13 so i worked at l from 2011 to 2013
1: that's 2013. okay so 2013 you're at the cut yeah you somehow talked your way into a fashion job even though you didn't know very much about fashion yeah
2: yeah sorry stella i think she knew that like it was pretty apparent immediately that i like (laughs) did not have the depth of knowledge i needed then it was just kind of fun because it was like we'll figure out like what you are good at like Mm i i think my first week we had a talk and she was like you're voicey and you're funny. So, like, we'll just figure it out. And then I did a lot. I did do a lot of fashion stuff. And I did a lot of, like, I, remember I had to do fashion week. And she just, like, sent me backstage to do beauty reporting. And I was like, I don't know anything about beauty. So I guess I'm just going to write about not knowing about beauty. And nobody read the posts, I don't think. Maybe someone did. But it was enough to sort of just, like, get me out of the sort of prison of like L thinking, which was like you are part of a magazine and most you write is like a 200-word blurb with no name on it. And, yeah, so I had a like a year where I was just trying to figure out what it meant to blog. And then I sort of switched to more like wider pop culture stuff and found like a niche doing first-person stuff.
1: What's it, like w- yeah w- the first-person stuff, like what's the first piece you can remember where it's sort of like uh, it felt like you?
2: Okay, the first piece that really felt like me was we did this, like, Thanksgiving Eve sex roundup. (laughs) Sorry, Mom and Dad. And it was, like, tell your most, like, wild tales of, like, having sex on Thanksgiving Eve that night when everyone comes home for Thanksgiving holiday from college. And I just, like, wrote about a thing that happened to me. You can go read it. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to start blushing or sweating or both. And I was like, oh, you can just like be yourself and be funny and talk about something that happened to you and like people seem to like it so that was that and it felt like me mostly because it was about me
1: was it nerve-wracking to have it go out on the internet
2: uh no and then that's how i knew that i was just naturally a narcissist like i liked that (laughs) attention (laughs) you're about it yeah i was into it
1: Hey, we're going to take a little break because uh, I have something to tell you. And the thing is uh, that the program is supported this week by Aspen Ideas to Go. Aspen Ideas to Go is a weekly podcast. It's all about the big ideas that are going to open your mind. It features fascinating talks and conversations with the world's top thinkers and doers from the Aspen Institute It also gives you front-row access to the annual Aspen Ideas Festival. You, like me, are probably not normally invited to the Aspen Ideas Festival. But now you can go or bring it to you with more than 400 thought leaders who go to Aspen every year to talk about everything from politics to economics, world affairs to arts, culture, science, the whole gamut. There's a huge variety on the show that's going to pique your curiosity. One week, you might catch uh, Madeleine Albright talking about the world and how it works, or, uh, no longer works. Next week, you might get a lively talk with, uh, Adam Grant about how you can make your work life more meaningful. Subscribe to Aspen Ideas to Go right now and get the best of Aspen Ideas every week. Just plug your phone, search Aspen Ideas to Go on the podcast app that you are listening to this show on right now, or you can go to aspenideas.org podcast. Feed your curiosity. Get, uh, get smarter. Listen to Aspen Ideas To Go. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Let's get back to Allison. All right. So you're like putting these things out on the internet. Yes. Finding your voice a little bit. Yes writing about thanksgiving eve sex and hoping your parents don't read it
2: yeah they never did again sorry mom and dad
1: uh well hopefully they listen to this and go back and find it it'll be in the show notes (laughs) mom and dad if you're listening you can just go down and the, the link will be right there lucky me and then how did you start making this move into features
2: oh that was a real battle because like blogging is such a different brain and i think when you're good at blogging it's hard to convince anybody to let you try other things. But so while I was blogging, I would always try and do like what was considered features for sort of the web. Like I really was obsessed with these two girls in LA that like had their own like weed delivery service. So I like went to LA and like did a ride along with them. And so like this little by little, I would just like supplement blogging with like features sort of in my own time.
1: And was it almost like you had like a kind of like bank account with the cut where like as long as you were keeping your like blogging duties up to par, you could go, like, fuck around with other things? Exactly, yeah. yeah.
2: So it was a lot of work. Never slept, which is fine. <laughs> um, and I would always, like, every time like Stella and I would have my, like, annual review, I'd be like, okay, but now it's time for me to, like, give up blogging and just do feature writing. And she was like, mm, keep blogging. Because, like, traffic ma- I I work at a website. Like, traffic matters. And, yeah. like, not... Every feature was, like, definitely not gonna get as many clicks as, like, like a good dick joke, you know? <laughs> um So I did that for a while and then I just came to a point where I really had much more of a clear idea that I wanted to be doing features and I wanted to try my hand at profiles and I just like didn't have any idea how to do it. So I got asked to do a British Vogue profile of Gigi Hadid and this was probably like 2014, 2015 and I I was like, yes, of course I'll do it. And so I tried to do it and it was the war- like seriously so bad. And I'm embarrassed to say that three years ago I was publishing very bad profiles, but it was awful. I remember the editor wrote back and was like, I didn't ask you to write like a fangirl account of like meeting Gigi Hadid. Could you please like try again? And I was like, oh my
1: God. <laughs> really? So,
2: yeah, it was really embarrassing. And it was a cover story.
1: Oh man, what does that feel like when you get that email?
2: Why even try? Honestly, I was like, I should probably just like do something else. Um, or just like never do anything but blogging because obviously like I'm good at that and I'm really bad at this thing and that was a lot more work. So like why try? But I'm also just like a little bit, I don't know if masochist is the right word, but like I do kind of feed off of negative energy. This is more about my psyche than I intended it to be. Uh, So instead of thinking like I'm never going to do this, I decided to find ways to get better and I like just started doubling down on pitching a lot more and I landed a couple things in the magazine that david marchese edited and um he taught me sort of a lot about like what a profile should look like i like took a lot of writing classes in my own time to figure out like how to write a feature. really yeah. where did you take classes <laughs> um i actually took a long form writing class with taffy oh yeah yeah and that was sort of the moment where i was like because i always looked up to her and like read her stuff and was like i want to do what taffy does like i want to write the hillsong piece like i want to write you know also, Jessica Pressler, I was like, I want to write that, you know, score stripper Robin Hood piece. Like, how do I do that? And Taffy was teaching a class and I signed up and like it was a weekend in a conference room and a WeWork. And I was like, I learned so much and I just sort of like exploded that thing that I needed to explode or whatever. She's
1: so good. She's so good. <laughs> it's so charming.
2: I know. Yeah. See, likable. Like, nice. It goes a long way. And also I would, like, email people all the time at work, which is, like, so obnoxious to be like, hey, I really like that story. Could you tell me exactly what you did? Just tell me how you thought of the idea, how you pitched it. And Like, not everyone had the time to do that. But I was always making, like, a nuisance of myself, I think. And I was probably too old to do that. Like, it sounds like I was, like, 19, <laughs> but I was, like, 27. <laughs> I think
1: that's okay. Okay. I think that's all right.
2: Yeah. So then I just realized that at the cut at that moment, the blog stuff was my job and i wanted to be writing longer and like wanted to have more time to figure that out so i i went to the ringer because they like didn't really have a blog but they yeah. had like you know i had to like write like a piece a week and then i could focus on like learning what i wanted features to look like for me
1: and you were at the ringer like at the start right yeah
2: i was one of the first hires on the culture desk and i was under amanda dobbins who's also like a really great editor and like she just sort of let me try my hand at profiles and and stuff. So that's sort of where I figured out that I liked doing profiles and was kind of okay at them.
1: Uh, What was it like? What was the difference between going from like these established kind of glossy magazines, even if you were working more for the digital side to like a uh, startup?
2: It's interesting. It didn't ever really feel that different because the cut for my time there was still so small. It still felt sort of like startup-y and like Wild Wild West, which is why it was so fun. We could try everything. And so, even though it like worked within New York Mag, um, that environment always felt like I was free to take risks. And then at the Ringer, it was kind of the same thing. Like Bill Simmons had such a his own reputation, and like we were built on the back of Grantland that it sort of felt like we still had a legacy attached to like this Wild Wild West. We can do what we want and try new things. There was a lot of pressure, though. I will say to like not fuck it up (laughs) and just to like make sure that the content was really good and that like it stood out and i felt like i couldn't have lazy days the way i could at the cut you know
1: no i don't know what you mean by that
2: oh god okay so like with the blog like yes i'm turning out a lot but like you're turning out so much that like you don't expect every song to be a hit right so like i could have five posts a day and maybe three of them did really well and two of them i was like listen i had to like i had to write something and then at the ringer was like I was writing less and people were sort of like unsure of what it was. So I felt like everything had to be a lot more consistently like a hit. Mm-hmm. It was not. But like I felt like the pressure like it had to be, I think.
1: Was there a piece from that early time that you feel like like uh, I, I part of what I'm interested in is just like how you find your like rhythm and voice with this. So like yeah. if you're not doing the blogging as much. You're focusing on this feature writing. Was there a piece there that was like you felt like, well, this was this was good.
2: Yeah, I think there was a profile I did of... There were three, but I'll go with just the one. (laughs) Um, There was this profile I did of Lainey Gossip. She's a gossip blogger. And it was sort of like the perfect, like... The topic was something that I was really invested in and, like, knew a lot about and cared a lot about celebrity gossip and Lainey. And I was able to be, like, voicey and funny and fun, but also thoughtful and hit something that, like sort of got the bigger reason about why we cared about this thing that seems sort of frivolous. And my whole life is justifying, like, caring about frivolous things, so it felt good to, like, lock into it in, like, a (laughs) long piece. And it was just, like, it was, if I could go back, there was, like, very little about that that I would change, which I think is super Mm -hmm. rare. Um, So that was probably the piece that felt like it did what I want most of my pieces to do.
1: Which is to, I don't know, you put in your words?
2: Yeah, like, make you laugh, make you feel like you're in the room having the experience that I'm having, which most of the time is just like a lot of fun and makes you stop and think, oh, yeah, no, I get like the bigger picture about why this matters.
1: So can we can we talk a little bit about like the, uh, the art of the celebrity profile?
2: Sure. I'm pretty artless, but like we can try. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with that.
1: Um, you've written about uh, at this point like a great many famous people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you say so.
1: And uh, I'm interested in the process by which you do that like I have all these assumptions about how celebrity profiles work like yeah they're heavily negotiated uh beforehand you get a limited amount of time yeah uh has that been your experience of these things like heavily negotiated before you get in there how does that work
2: um it sort of depends on the person I guess and I think that the cut's been like what I've been doing a lot for the cut I think it's we're sort of lucky because people don't quite they haven't previously thought of it as like like when New York Magazine asks, because there is a little bit of a difference in like the public eye, I guess. And so, like when we ask, they're like, "Oh, this website's asking, like this great website that we like a lot, but it's not going to require the same, like let's negotiate. Can you ask this or can you not ask that?" Again, it's just like you get to be a little bit f- freer, I think. So when I'm negotiating things specifically for the cut, it feels like I'm just asking for time, and then mm-hmm. there's never much of a conversation about like, "But you can't ask this, and it has to be here," and those things that I think do bog down a lot of bigger profiles. But yeah, there's always a negotiation about how much access, which is like less and less all the time, which is not surprising. Right. People expect you to do stuff on like 45 minutes and I'm like, this is bonkers. So I try- Do you
1: do that or does your editor do that?
2: I do that. I don't know why. Actually, I don't know how I've ended up doing it, but I do that. (laughs) And sometimes for like- like the cut does digital covers and sometimes for those like other people will help wrangle editors will help wrangle when it involves like a bigger shoot and things like that but for the most part like i make the first ask and i always ask for like the stars and the moon like Mm -hmm. can i get three days traveling across country with so and so and they're like how about 90 minutes in a restaurant and like let's find the happy (laughs) medium (laughs) so i always ask for us to do something together so i can observe them or like be in their environment and then like a real sit down talk and I kind of prefer like can I just come with them to the thing they're doing that day like if they're just like going to run errands or if they're just like going to the studio or taping a podcast can I just come as opposed to like can we go skydiving together because I think for me it's just I prefer to observe people being themselves in their own environment as much as I can mm-hmm. being themselves yeah th- with th- me watching them <laughs> they're,
1: they're like you just put a pretty big air quotes and I feel like that's Important, but do you feel like if you're, they're doing whatever they were going to do that day anyway, even if there's going to be some like performance to it, it maybe will be like, a little bit less because it was like already in the rhythms of their yeah, lives? Yeah,
2: exactly. And they always forget you're there. I've noticed that. Do they? Yeah, I think that I guess like I'm actually far more unassuming than I thought I was because <laughs> like people seem to just like forget that I'm sitting in the room, which is great for me because then they're sort of like going about their day the way they would or their experience the way they would.
1: Are there things that you do to make that happen?
2: Yeah, I definitely like sit in a corner and I like never speak. <laughs> and I like don't ask I'll jump in and ask questions if anything's clarified or like what are you doing or like who was that person or but like I try not to like ask for like a glass of water. Like I'm like a small neglected child in the corner. That's how <laughs> I kind of go into it. I just try and like blend into the chaos as much as I can, which is easier obviously when it's like backstage and there's like 50 people than yeah. it is like in a car with somebody, but yeah. And,
1: and when you're negotiating the access stuff, do you have a point at which you'll just walk away?
2: If I can't, if I don't think I'll be able to get a good story out of it. And if it's like less than an hour, like I just like won't, can't there's no it. there's no point, you know?
1: Because you can't get anywhere interesting. Right. And most of those subjects, are they people that Stella or an editor is assigning you or are they people that you're really eager to go talk to?
2: It's a mix of both, but it's generally editors are bringing me people that I would be excited about and I, I, I rarely say no <laughs> because I do just get excited about most people for different reasons like I think I didn't really know much about like a John David Washington but then when I googled a little bit I was like oh this is going to be interesting and he's cute why not <laughs> but like but then I was really interested in doing like um, Tessa Thompson like she's someone that I paid attention to a lot and so I brought her to Stella And I was really excited. So sometimes you have to reverse engineer the excitement, but Mm -hmm. I can generally find I've said no a few times.
1: Who have you said no to? Oh,
2: that's a good question. I feel sort of I, I, I. Okay, like someone offered me to do Liam Hemsworth recently, and I was sort of like, he's like, he's beefy. Like, I don't have a ton else uh-huh. that, like, but now when I think about it a little bit later, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said no, because he just had that weird, like, Malibu fire thing, and they, like, saved all their pets. And so, like, there's at least, like, something interesting to, like, hop in there with. But, um, no, I said no to that, because I just didn't think I could really write that one well.
1: I really want to ask you, like, a follow-up question about that, but I don't know who that person is.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. See, yeah, exactly. Um, he's Miley Cyrus's fiance. He's oh, okay. Thor's younger brother who was in The Hunger Games. Sure. Yeah. See, exactly. Yeah, that's the selling point.
1: You're pretty deep on that stuff, though, right? Yeah, you're reading yeah. that stuff all the time. Totally. Yeah. So you like, you knew that at least before there was like a wildfire that was threatening Malibu, and
2: Liam saved his cats. Saved his cats. Yeah. Uh,
1: that there wasn't a whole lot there for you. Do you feel like there's some? I've sort of uh, gotten this sense sometimes when I've talked to like celebrity profilers that there's like. Uh, a sport to it almost, where it's like you can kind of find the interesting thing about anyone.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: Is that part of the game of it, is like, I'm going to figure out the interesting thing about this person?
2: Yeah, treating people like like puzzles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Totally, yeah. like I mean, because so much of celebrity journalism is like, here's the peg, right? You kind of have to pay attention to this person because they're being offered or they have a movie coming out so they'll do the interviews. And so it does become fun like knowing that you kind of have to do it because sometimes like you know like some people at their jobs they like have to fill in things in an excel sheet and like sometimes at my job like i have to do a story about x person because they have a movie coming out and like that's my excel sheet like you just gotta find the joy in it right (laughs) how do you do that i mean like every other celebrity profile i like read everything and then much to my friends like they just hate me for this i will sit down at dinners or like hang out and just like talk about the celebrity a lot until i find the thing that like interests them so like liam hemsworth i could sit there and talk to you about him for 15 minutes and the thing that gets your eyes aglow is like oh the malibu fires he was part of that and then, then i know uh-huh. that that's something to like ask about or like think about and then also just sort of like well what do i want to know about the person that has not been reported 18 times and like blogged about a million times, but mostly I do use my friends a lot because like if they're into it, then I think like the piece will be interesting.
1: Yeah, I got the same thing with these interviews. Like whatever the first thing that I tell someone about afterwards, yeah, that's like even if it's not like the most like hardcore piece of information, that's always the best part.
2: Exactly, you know? like that's the part of the story that resonates.
1: And so the process is basically like talk to your friends. You look for uh, the thing that's sort of like getting people to sit up in their chairs a little bit. Yeah. And then do you have a game plan? Like say you have an hour. Right. Like do you have (laughs) do you have like a game plan of how to get there in an hour or do you just kind of wing it?
2: I wing it much more than I should admit. I like to say I use my intuition. (laughs) But it's also just like, I feel like every time I go into one of these, I've like forgotten the thing that like worked before. So I'm just like winging it. But no, like you go in with your questions in order and like at this point you sort of can like, I can sort of sense when, like, okay, we're probably hitting, like, the 40-minute mark, so I should probably, like, switch into a different mode or, like, get to that question that I, like, don't want to ask now.
1: Do you always have those questions?
2: I mean, doesn't everyone always have those questions? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone has those questions. There's, like, that question that exists for every subject, so you have to, like, go for it. I've been told a couple times, like, because I always try to do the thing that's, like, blame it on my editor, which is, like, such, like, a interviewing 101 I'm like you know my editor would be really mad if I didn't ask this question like I'm sorry we're conspirators here I don't want to do it either and I've had a couple subjects be like but you don't actually have to ask me that and I'm like shit (laughs) like yes I do but like shit (laughs) because now it feels weird that I'm going forth with it anyway um so my game plan I do all my research I write out my questions I put them in order where I feel like the conversation will flow and then um I just like go in there and see how it feels
1: has there been a time recently where you walked out of one of those interviews and felt like you didn't get what you wanted
2: yeah i can't say who it was because it's like not been published yet but i just had one recently where like i think i assumed we were gonna connect way more than we did um so i walked in there like a little bit operating from a place of like oh we're gonna be friends so like i'm coming in hot and She was different than I expected. And so my like gregarious going to meet you at your level energy like didn't match hers at all. And so she closed up really fast and was answering questions in this sort of like, I don't feel quite comfortable. There's something off about the way that we're interacting way. And by the end of it, like I probably only gotten through like half of my questions and the answers were sort of like, I need to ask you that question six more times to like get a good enough answer. Um, luckily I have another round with her, but like the first round was like not, I just, I'm like, I have nothing.
1: How, what do you do when you, when that happens, like when you walk into a room like that in the, uh, and there's like a, a gap in the energy, how do you like modula- modulate yourself?
2: That's generally when I like to shut up and like watch or just observe. But if you like don't have that, like if you're just like at lunch with somebody one-on-one so you don't really have the time to like shut up and just watch them eat or whatever I switch to more neutral questions and then just sort of let them talk longer than I probably would until they seem to have like loosened up some and then I do make a lot of jokes which like sometimes helps (laughs) and then but normally it's just sort of like giving them for as brief a time as you can like giving them some of the power back so they feel like you're not coming in with an agenda. Yeah. And then, like, at a certain point, most people do calm down and sort of get back into it, and then you can find the conversation again. But it's such a power play, which I, like, again, hate to admit because it feels like you're manipulating people, but, like, there are power shifts in the conversation, so.
1: Well, I'm, I'm interested in those dynamics. Yeah. Like, you also were saying, like, I thought we were going to be friends. <laughs> yeah. And reading through your stuff, there's some of these pieces where... It feels pretty clear to me that like you like them a lot.
2: Yeah, I can't hide that. <laughs> like that
1: like that Cardi B profile, like you liked her. Yeah,
2: I had fun with her. Yeah, you know.
1: How does that like maybe this is just like talking something to death that's just like a normal human like interaction thing? Yeah. But like how does that it feels to me like there's some tension there where it's like you're kind of like hanging out. Right. Potentially like getting along super well, but also there's this transactional thing going on, which is like you need to get your story and also she needs to get a profile in New York Magazine. Right,
2: right. I mean, the good thing is that, like, at this point in the, like, the celebrity profile complex, like, everybody's very aware of what part they have to play, right? Like, I interviewed Noah Centineo, and he's like, nobody really knew who he was, and it was the story I did about him was probably one of his first, like, interviews. And already he knew, like, oh, I just gave you this scene for the article. Like, he, like, knew like, what he had to do. And so, like, everybody sort of knows their roles, which is Helpful for me because then I feel less like it's a transaction. If, like, everybody knows what the deal is, then you can't feel like it's too dishonest. And so you're just being the best, most truthful version of yourself. And that person is doing the same in this constructed situation because we're all aware of the construct at this point. I don't think anybody's fooled, right? You know, into thinking that I'm really their friend or that I think that they're really my friend. Like, we know that we're just going to get along for two to Eight hours, and that's it. (laughs) That's it.
1: You you don't like uh, stay friends with people afterwards.
2: I would love to, but it always feels it does feel a little bit weird because you're right. Have you like like... tried? (laughs) I don't want to admit that. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I've seen subjects out in the world, and I'll go up and like say hello, and then sort of be like, well, now we're both in this social environment. Like, shouldn't we get to know one another really? And then like it doesn't work, and of course like. I've maybe watched that movie Win a Date with Ted Hamilton too many times and thinking that like, like a celebrity might just like fall in love with a... Co- like, would I have loved to stay friends with Michael B. Jordan maybe married him one day? Sure. But like that didn't happen. <laughs> like he understood the transaction more than anybody. <laughs> so I got fooled on that one. It could still happen. It could still happen. Maybe he'll listen to this podcast. I don't know.
1: All right. So like, if you feel like there's this construct and everyone knows the deal, right? Yeah. Like... It is a transaction, but it's an okay transaction because everyone knows it's a transaction. Right. And, like, the market rates are set. <laughs> like, the currency exchange yeah. is pretty stable. The, like, the celebrity profile is, like, tied to the dollar. Right. Everything's, like, you know, God. a carton of milk costs. Like, this what a carton of milk
2: costs. Truly cynical, but yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well... That's what you just said.
2: Yeah. Maybe like not that cynically. Okay. okay. make it le-
1: We'll make it less cynical. Okay.
2: It's like, a, like I want to take it back. It's like a summer camp friendship, right? You know, you're going to summer camp for three weeks and you're going to make friends that feel like your friggin' soulmate, like your best friend. Like you will die without that person. And then camp ends and you go home and you sort of think about them for a couple weeks longer, but then like you're back in your real life. Yeah. And like, you could see that person again and be like, Oh my God, my summer camp friend, I did like you a lot. Maybe we could, <laughs> Pick this up and like maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but like for the most part you understand that like summer camp is a finite amount of time and it's gonna end and you're gonna go back to reality.
1: Okay, that's more optimistic. Yeah. All right, fine. I yeah. will give I will grant you that optimism. Thank except, you. Except except in one way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the difference with the celebrity profile is that um everyone's gone to camp a bunch of times already. Right. And like knows the deal. So it's it feels to me from the outside like such a defined experience now right for both the subject and the writer and the like final product that i wonder as someone who's like a couple years into doing this and doing it in a very like at a very high level in very prominent places like you've had many stories now that have like broken the internet and gone crazily viral and all this stuff do you feel some urge to try and like go to a different summer camp? Like, do you feel some (laughs) urge to break that mold somehow or is it kind of impossible at this point?
2: I don't think it's impossible. I think like, yeah, there's like a list of things that these profiles have to do, right? You have to like explain who the person is and you have to like tell a story about the person and you have to do a thing with the person. So you're not just two people in a room talking all the time. Like, I get that there's like a list of things where you're like there is a celebrity profile template that's been followed forever and like I would love to figure out how to like really fuck up that template but you totally can't and I definitely feel like there was a a run there of me writing things that felt really boring because I realized that like I was just like hitting the template like hard like paint by numbers sort of profile writing and then I thought to myself okay I'm bored I feel like every experience is sort of the same like X sits down and we do this or like X enters a room and says this. So like I think what got me to like the next level or just thinking about how to break it up was that the turn I think was a Tessa Thompson profile I did for the Cuts fashion issue last fall where I just like sort of didn't have a template, right? Like I didn't ask for like the 90 minute sit down plus like a fun activity for the two of us to do together. It took like two days for us to even like figure out where to meet because I was like, we can do anything. Just like let me know what you want to do. And we were like Instagram DMing trying to figure out like, do you want to meet me here or maybe here or maybe here? And like the day I was supposed to interview her was like ticking by and I was like, could you just tell me where to go? (laughs) So like we met up at a cat cafe and like sort of like made decisions on the fly about where to go. And because it was such like a loosely formed it felt like we didn't have the same agenda, right? Like, that we weren't just, like, filling in the construct. And, like, at the, the end result did what a celebrity profile had to do, but there was some, like, spontaneity to it and some, like, looseness to it that I, I hadn't been able to do before. And so now, like, I feel more confident in sort of being, like, let's just meet here and, like, let me sort of, like, see how, where it can go. And you have to have publicists who are willing to let their people do that, right? Who are willing to, like, sort of let it go, which is not that easy to find. Yeah. Truly not. But it also has to do with like being on the ground with the person and um sort of finessing that next step, which is something that uh Zach Baron from DQ taught me when I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in these things. And he was like, most of the time, like like a publicist will give me the in to like the first meeting and then I finesse everything else. And I was like, okay. That sounds difficult, but like let's try it. And so now every time I have an interview with somebody, like sure we'll arrange that first meeting, but I'm like let's do this or like where are you going now? Can I go with you? Oh, your mom's upstairs. Can I meet your mom? And I feel like a creep, but like you just. Oh, um, there's one other tip I got from Jessica Pessler that's uh, you should always feel. Kind of uncomfortable in interviews, right? Because you have to keep asking for like the next level of access, the next level of access. So if you're not feeling uncomfortable about like how nosy you're being, then you're probably like not doing it right.
1: Do you feel like um you should hear no?
2: You should at least get some like uh, I don't know, because <laughs> that's where the good stuff is in the realm of like I don't know if I should let you see this.
1: Oh, that's an interesting interviewing technique. I...
2: <laughs> it's hard. I gotta think about that. Yeah. It's like I just feel like I'm really imposing myself, and you have to impose yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, it maybe like uh, that line is not boring, but like safe.
2: Yeah, you don't want to be safe.
1: You know, and like yeah. if you can feel like something is going kind of wrong, right. or at least not <laughs> right. as it was planned, right, it feels kind of exciting, you know. And I feel like a lot of these pieces you've been doing lately have gotten to that place. Like even that Tessa Thompson one, like it had this feel like you're like kind of like not sure exactly what was going to happen
2: right which is terrifying as like the interviewer because like it really does sort of feel like it could go off the rails at any time and you've like forgotten to ask the question about like her relationship with Janelle Monet, and she's going to disappear into the night before you can but also I think if you're just like open oh my god I can't believe I'm going to say this My editor at New York Mag will kill me. Sorry, Noreen. If you just put that energy out there, generally people, like, meet you where you are. So if you're open and you're like, we can do whatever, people will sort of, like, return that energy.
1: Unless you walk in and you're like, we're best friends. And they're like, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah,
2: you got to pace yourself there. (laughs) (laughs) Can't scare him with all the energy right away.
1: (laughs) Wait, why would that bother Noreen? She's been on the show. I know Noreen a little bit.
2: Oh, because she hates when I talk about like energy in the universe. I'm like, I can't help it. I lived in Berkeley. Like, I drank some of the Kool Aid. (laughs) So I do talk a lot about that. (laughs)
1: Um, we should talk a little bit about this last thing you did. Yeah. This last piece you wrote. Yeah. It's about uh Lena Dunham. And I should say that uh I've worked with Lena, I know her, yeah. and I've worked on her podcast. So, you know, I'm not like an objective character in this thing. Uh but that felt to me like a profile that did not uh was not paint by numbers.
2: Oh no, that one—that was like uh,
1: way outside the lines. Yeah,
2: that was like advanced art class for me. I was <laughs> even me. I was like, "What the hell? What is going on?
1: <laughs> what, what am I doing?
2: What? How is this still going?" That was actually very—it was very stressful, but it was very exciting to be like, "Oh, I can. We're still. I can do this, and I can come here, and like, you're still gonna text, and like, we can just keep talking. Like, this like kept leveling up in this way I didn't expect, and that was truly exciting, but truly stressful."
1: With her in particular, like someone who's been written about so much. Right. What were your expectations?
2: So it was originally conceived as like a smaller profile. And then some like stuff happened to her that like delayed our second interview. So we just ended up having like a lot more time. And like, so I went to her house in LA twice over the course of two days. And then we we're supposed to have a, a another meeting in New York, but that got delayed because she had to go to surgery. And because of that, she was like, just sort of chatting with me like in the interim. And then like, we just like, kept talking. And then we had another meeting. And she was sort of like, Oh, there's more to say. Can you meet again? And I was like, Okay. And then so I said, Can I come here to meet you? And it happened to be her like parents house in Connecticut. And so like, everything sort of just like, got sort of like delayed in a way that gave it more space for us to build a bond that then meant that I could like keep asking for the next thing if that makes sense
1: that does make sense yeah yeah but what was your what do you think that experience would be like
2: I thought it would be I thought she would talk a lot because like she doesn't hold back right and that's been well chronicled across all mediums and um so I expected to have like Honestly, I expected to sort of have like the experience that like David Marchese has in his in conversations, right? Where like he knows he's going to get like two long sit downs with the person and they're going to say some crazy shit. And then I would have to sort of like build a narrative around the crazy shit. And I sort of thought we would talk a lot. I would go through all the big controversies in the past years. And then I would sort of write about my like two hours with Lena Dunham, my four hours with Lena Dunham. And I was interested in that because I think. Obviously, she'd been somebody that I'd been exposed to for so long and thought about for so long, whether or not I wanted to as like a a consumer of culture. And also because she was a young woman in Brooklyn who wrote about and thought about and made shows about a life that I was sort of adjacent to. So I was interested in how that thing that felt like a couple degrees away could have gone in that direction. So I just wanted to talk to her about that and about the pets and about being hated and about being hated and knowing about being hated and still continuing to be out there, putting yourself out there to be hated more. But I did not expect the level of like just the volume rather of what I got in within those little buckets. It was like overflowing, you know.
1: You you kept saying like it was stressful. Yeah. In a way I mean, that you didn't say that about other things we've talked about. Why, like. What was stressful about it?
2: Just the feeling of like, what is going on? <laughs> that, I think that's really what stressed me out. It was like, what is going on? Also sort of like, well, what am I going to do with all of this when I have to sit down and write? And that's like the thing, of course, it's like always in the back of your mind. Like I'm doing all this. I'm experiencing all of this. We're like talking all the, all the time, but I have 10 hours of tape and right. a notebook full of scene. And at some point I have to do that, like make that 7,000 words and do it in a way that like honors the experience and doesn't piss off everybody online and does everything it has to do, but at like a much higher level. So I was just stressed the whole time because the stakes felt a lot higher. With well, that one. second
1: one, like not pissing people off online, that that's like kind of impossible. Right? Yeah,
2: it's truly impossible. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: that can't really be a goal.
2: Listen, I'm like a little bit of a people pleaser. So like, do <laughs> I? And it, it's not even piss people off online. I think that back. I think that there is when you're working on something and you know that you're dealing with Um, issues about race or gender or sexual assault like I don't want to ever bungle that right because it's not even pissing people off it's like I don't want to like alienate people in a way that like I can't come back from as a writer you know like I I feel like I should be sensitive to like writing about like Lena's experience with the sexual assault victim I've got to be I've just got to be careful you have to be careful
1: yeah it's funny man my sense reading that piece was like in this moment where publicists are more engaged and access is like increasingly limited it was the situation where like you had way too much to work with yeah you know
2: yeah and it was Uh, interesting coming off of a the profile i did right before of michael b jordan which was very much like much more in line with what you'd expect Like he's a big celebrity and he had just come off of like doing that huge Vanity Fair profile and I was doing it for GQ's man of the year and um you know he was sort of like not a lot left to say did you read the Vanity Fair thing and I was like well (laughs) I still have to do this so (laughs) let's go and uh he gave me just what he wanted to give me and he gave me a couple hours in a restaurant and that was it and like no I didn't get really get a follow-up I didn't get to like text him i tried to text his personal assistant a bunch <laughs> to be like is michael available to chat and that was one of those things where i was like i'm gonna try to, to use that two hours to finesse the next step like i'll ask him to get a drink after or, like we'll go like do xyz and he was very much like no me and my publicist have arranged that we're gonna have this dinner and then i'm gonna go live my life and so that was when i was like well i don't really have a ton because it's the two of us sitting in a restaurant yeah you know having like, a good conversation but like the restaurant's empty and like it's like literally just all I have is this.
1: Well, that's I mean, that's the part of your job that I find so like intimidatingly hard. It's just like, all right, you're going to sit in a restaurant, empty restaurant right, with a very famous movie star. It is the least natural like human interaction possible. <laughs> yeah. And your job is to get him to like say something honest and human.
2: Yeah, it's not easy. Fucking hard. It's pretty hard sometimes it's hard sometimes it's not but like sometimes it's really hard but you know you go on a lot of tinder dates and you just like it's the same skill set to be honest (laughs) Really? (laughs) yeah like how do we get over the awkward hump to have a human conversation with the person you just like don't really know that you just like met online (laughs) like tell me how tinder dating is any different from like doing a celebrity interview
1: (laughs) i don't know you tell me it's
2: not yeah. it's the same. I really think it's the same skill set. So. <laughs>
1: Do you walk into Tinder dates sometimes with just like a lot of like this is gonna happen energy, <laughs> and it just doesn't um, match up?
2: I have been accused of like interrogating people during dates. They're like, slow down with the questions. And I'm like, again, same skill set, so can't. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm 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 an old uh, married person, so I don't have the dating experience, uh. but I have that experience a lot. Except for me, it's at um, kids' birthday parties. <laughs> Kids' oh. birthday party is a terrible social situation because you actually have nothing in common with the adults right. in the room. And like it's just boring to talk about like kids. Right. And I get in this mode at these birthday parties where I start like interviewing people because that's just how I See? know what to do. And uh, people find it incredibly off-putting.
2: <laughs> it doesn't work in social, social situations. It's definitely not at sure. like
1: 10 a.m. at like a Gymboree. <laughs> No one wants to talk about their fucking feelings. They
2: think you're the feds, man. That's yeah. It, like,
1: what? It, uh, like, I've had multiple people just be like, "I'm gonna go get another donut." Like, <laughs> please don't talk to me anymore. Feel alone. This is not cool it's, of you.
2: It's hard to turn off, right? It's like one mode of getting through social awkwardness.
1: I guess so, but I just yeah. feel like, yeah, Michael B. Jordan, uh, like alone in a restaurant. That's like a, a very high stakes version of that.
2: Yes. Exactly. And the exact opposite of, like, the Lena experience, which is weird to have in, like, the same month. Like, sort of, like, whiplash.
1: All right. So you decided that this is what you wanted to do. Willed your way into fashion magazines. (laughs) You're uh, good at the editorial part of assistant, bad at the assistant part of assistant. Terrible at the
2: assistant part of assistant.
1: Saw, like, the uh, magazine industry crumbling around you.
2: Right. (laughs)
1: Stuck with it because it was the only thing you wanted to do. And, like, it has worked. You now have the thing that very few people have which is that you get to write you get like paid decently to write big stories
2: yeah please don't jinx me though it (laughs) never feels like it's gonna last
1: (laughs) do you still feel that way
2: yeah of course like i like I, i feel really lucky to do what i'm doing but it's also like taste change people are always like learning how to do this and like getting really good and leveling up and so like I could be doing this this year, but then, like, next year there's somebody else who's, like, even better. And then I get, like, no assignments. You know, it's just, like, people could stop caring about celebrities. And then I, like, don't have – that'll that'll never happen. (laughs) (laughs) That will never happen. But, yeah, it does sort of feel like both sort of, like, are you guys sure you want me to keep doing this? Because I will, but are you sure? Feeling and also just, like, knowing that, like, things move really, really fast now. And, like, I could be, like, not the person to do this like next year you know
1: it's interesting to me that you're where you feel stress is like people coming up underneath you (laughs) and not like the industry imploding like like not crashing down from on top of you you know right like new york magazine's like out trying to sell and you guys are unionizing right and, and this industry in which you find yourself it's a different kind of perilous than it was when you like you had to go to grad school, but it's in a tricky moment.
2: Yeah. But maybe because I've always like, as long as I've been doing this, it's been tricky and perilous and like about to implode. So it just feels like every day, like it's like the same every day. It doesn't feel any different. Yeah. So I guess I'm just like used to this level of anxiety. <laughs> I, don't know. I wouldn't know how to work in this industry any other way, but also like, I just, I'm going to sound so Pollyanna again, but like, I have to believe that like, at the end of the day people like want to read good interesting pieces that are thoughtful and well reported by people who have good voices and maybe it won't be like a glossy magazine and maybe like people won't get like nice salaries or livable salaries but like this will exist in some way or another and like so therefore yes i have to watch my back because like (laughs) somebody else will crop up immediately you know
1: yeah i mean if some Twenty-something starts asking you how you wrote that Lena story.
2: <laughs> not writing back to the email.
1: <laughs> Definitely yeah. do not pay back that kindness. <laughs>
2: no, anyone's free to email me. I just like, I, like I think we've spent the hour establishing that I have no real advice other than like, don't <laughs> fuck it up and be afraid all the time. That's the key to success. Don't <laughs> fuck it up. Be a little bit anxious all the time.
1: Oh, uh, that's like um, that's gonna be the last thing that anyone says on the podcast <laughs> in 2018. And uh, cool. I think it's perfect (laughs) Hey Allison Thank you for doing this
2: Yeah thank you
1: Thanks for listening to Longform I'm Max Linsky My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer And Evan Ratliff Our editor is Janelle Pfeiffer And I just want to say That Janelle had an incredible year Editing the show Uh, It is a hard job she does it um, just sort of like effortlessly, but I know it's not effortlessly. It actually takes a great deal of effort. She just makes it seem effortless and she makes us seem uh, a lot more intelligent than we are. Thank you, Janelle, for everything in 2018. Thank you also, Tyler McCloskey, our intern, who uh, pulled a lot in late nights working on the show. Thanks to both of you for everything in 2018. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, who also made this show possible in 2018, MailChimp. And pit writers uh their support makes it possible for us to do this show and uh as you may have picked up on this is our last one of 2018 we've got a uh rerun from the archives we're going to put through the feed next week but we will see you in january we'll be back the first week of january with a new episode and until then there was one question that i really felt like um i had to ask allison so even though i thought i had given her the last word there was one more thing we had to talk about I feel like uh, I have to ask you about um, uh, BDE.
2: (laughs) I can't escape it. What would you like to know? (laughs) I
1: mostly want to know whether you feel like you could escape it.
2: No. (laughs) I know. This is like so funny. I wrote that blog post like right after I like killed myself to write this story about sex robots for the magazine. And BDE was like.
1: Just say what it is first oh, for the um, one human being on earth who doesn't know.
2: Stands for big dick energy, and like just go read the thing because I like don't want to have to explain what big dick energy is. You have to explain it. Okay. okay. It's um, it's because of Ariana Grande's now ex-boyfriend Pete Davidson, who is like people were trying to figure out why she was so attracted to him and so this like thing conversation started online about wow he looks like he has a big dick and that's big dick energy like looking like you have a big dick they got the confidence like the swag that you just have a huge dick and men and women can have it but again just like go read the thing the explainer um so i had just like come off of this like sex robot story that i worked so hard on and like nobody read and i was like what the hell and then BDE was, like, a like I noticed it over the weekend, and I don't really blog anymore, but, like, I'll come out of a retirement for things that really, like, make me laugh. And so I blogged about it on, like, a random Tuesday, and then I, like, can't, and everybody read it, and it's like, did anybody read the magazine feature I slaved up? Nope, just BDE. That's fine. Just, why do I <laughs> Just had, like, a couple hundred word
1: blog posts. <laughs>
2: right. Again, why do I bother? Um, so, yeah, I will never escape BDE. I guess it's not a bad thing. I've come to terms with it. I'm, like, back to liking it being part of my like index of articles now
1: do you feel like um uh will you continue on the bde beat will you return to bde occasionally
2: (laughs) i think that like a little bit of bde exists in a lot of my pieces you can always find the moment where i'm assessing someone's bde so it lives on in various ways
1: (laughs) okay that's actually going to be the last words if someone hears (laughs) in 2018
2: that's better than like anxiety and fear so (laughs) allison thanks thank you
0: why do you run